0: This is Hops and Spirits Bar Conversations. Come for the craft beer, bourbon, whiskey, and great drinks. Stay for the conversations. Here's your host, Jonathan Green.
1: For those who are going back to school or taking their kids back to school, and that means summer's officially over, I hope you have a uh, strong drink in front of you, uh, no matter what that drink of choice is. Hope everyone's having a great week, a great day, a great month and year. We're getting closer also to one of my favorite times of the year, uh, Whiskey Weeks, as we celebrate that in September as part of National Bourbon Heritage Month, month where we do everything at Hobson Spirits, release at least almost everything uh, with a side of whiskey or with a whiskey focus. That includes this show. Our uh, Hops and Spirits Kentucky podcast, our Cocktail 30s, um, pretty much just about everything that we can do. We'll focus mainly on whiskey, but that doesn't mean everything will, uh, of course, as there's plenty to do in the Hops and Spirits world. we got a great episode for you this week. We talk with Fergal from the Wee Banjo 3 group, their Americana Irish uh, band. They're amazing. And for tasting notes, we continue our Cocktails 101 with Jake Sullick as we talk about the Manhattan That's up next. Enjoy.
0: It's almost time. Where did I I put those? Here they are. (laughs) It's time for Tasting Notes.
1: We're back again with another Tasting Notes and joining us once more is Jake Solick, the beverage director, partner with the Professors LLC. Jake, good to have you as always. Thanks, Jonathan. How's it
2: going?
1: It's good. It's good. I'm having so much fun here talking cocktails with you this month. Cocktails 101. We did basics, then the sour recipe, the old-fashioned. Those are... Those are two drinks that I just love. But now we're probably getting into some stuff that I may not have as often but can be just as good. And I think next up is the Manhattan. So what do we got here?
2: Yeah, so the Manhattan is a is, is another fun one. And it's a good time if you haven't listened to the segment on the Old Fashioned is maybe to like go back and, and revisit that. Because the Manhattan cocktail actually starts its life probably as something like an Old Fashioned. So vermouth... in in america didn't become a product that bartenders started using a lot until the 1860s and it was still kind of new it was this fashionable new fortified wine people really didn't know what to do about it so the first thing they started doing was making old fashions with vermouth (laughs) so we don't know who made the first manhattan cocktail but we know that along the line somebody was probably making a vermouth cocktail and they said you know what this is just it's not very strong what it needs is a little bit of whiskey and so some enterprising bartender, probably after, late at night after he got off, at night, made the world's first Manhattan. We don't know why it's called the Manhattan. It could be named after the Manhattan Club. No one really knows for sure. But we know that the earliest Manhattans were very Vermouth forward. And it's only until the probably 18, late 1880s, 1890s that we start getting something that's a little bit closer to today's Manhattan. Uh, like the old fashioned, it's super simple really easy to put together and it's got a lot of flexibility.
1: And, and when you say, you know, it's kind of like an old fashioned and so forth, what, what are we, we dealing with here? Is it kind of the same basic three principles as the first two recipes we learned or do we go a little further?
2: It is. You got the same sort of principles. You're going to start with two dashes of bitters. Um, instead of a quarter ounce of simple syrup, uh, the way we use the Manhattan is we're going to put in one ounce of vermouth. And that's kind of like a separate conversation to kind of understand what vermouth is. But all wine has some level of residual sweetness in it. So the vermouth is going to act as our sweetener. And then we're going to put in two ounces of whiskey. So it looks like it's a little bit more sugar forward, but one of the beauties of vermouth as a modifier in mixed drinks is that vermouth, because it's a wine, also has a little bit of bitterness. It also has a little bit of acidity. And so it kind of as a mixing ingredient, it's not as sweet as using something like raw sugar or sugar syrup, and it allows the whole cocktail to kind of balance itself out. The early recipes would have been equal parts. So you would have put in two dashes of bitters and then an equal portion of both vermouth and whiskey. Today, we tend to go two to one in ratio. That's kind of like the modern version. But if you're at home, I really encourage you to try putting two dashes of bitters and then equal parts whiskey and vermouth. It's an absolutely delicious cocktail.
1: Well, that's how you can go back and forth, find your, your sweet spot on, on a drink. And is, is this one too where like you can do, does it have to be shaken? Does it can it be stirred? How does that work on, on something like this?
2: Always gonna stir a Manhattan. In fact, it's, it's, a, it's a red flag for me if, if I'm, I'm out at a place and I would order a Manhattan and the bartender starts to shake it, I'd either stop them or politely order a beer or a glass of wine. Um, you only ever shake something if it's got milk or cream, eggs, or fresh citrus juice. Anything else, you really need to be stirring it. And it's not gonna cause a Manhattan to go bad. It's not gonna be prepared incorrectly but shaking it's gonna introduce oxygen. It's gonna introduce bubbles. And so when you strain it after shaking it, you'll notice that your Manhattan is really muddy, ugly brown. And if you try sipping it, you're gonna you're going to actually taste the bubbles. It's gonna add a really weird texture to it. If you were to let that glass sit, after about five minutes, it'll actually turn transparent again as the oxygen rises to the surface and leaves. But of course that means your ice cold drink has been sitting alone for five minutes getting warmer. And so you always just want to stir old fashions in Manhattan's. In
1: and, and when we're talking about stirring a drink, how does that work? I mean, are we just doing like one quick stir or is it a, l- a little bit more to get everything mixed together?
0: You
2: really want to get an ideal chilling temperature on it. And it's, it's More scientific, I think, than most people believe. There was an excellent book uh, that won the James Beard Award, I think back in 2014, called Liquid Intelligence by Dave Arnold. He does a whole chapter on this where if you're using ice to chill a cocktail, all of the laws of thermodynamics apply. Which means if you want to chill something using ice, then you have to dilute it. So dilution and chilling are really two sides of the same coin. So you can't over dilute something by chilling it unless you bring the whole vessel up to room temperature. What that means is all you have to do is take your mixing glass in front of you, add your ingredients. I always start with the smallest ingredients first and build my way up. Fill the vessel two thirds with ice and then stir until you reach max, the the lowest temperature that that vessel is gonna get. And that takes between 30 and 40 seconds. Starting out uh, really early in my career, 20 years ago, I would just slow count at home. Um, If you do that enough times, it's like anything, it's, you know, the 10,000-hour rule. You do something often enough, you get really good at it. Um, And after you've stirred enough drinks, you can actually tell by touching the tin because the tin itself will get so cold that you almost can't hold it. And you know as soon as you've gotten to that point that it's between 30 and 40 seconds, and you know that you're at maximum dilution. You can't actually because of thermodynamics you can't actually get it any colder at that point it's reached um, uh, a level of equalness between the the temperature the liquid and the ice are actually the same temperature so it, it can't change at that point and so you know you're done
1: i i love that just sometimes simple uh touch and feel can, can go a long way and and like the other ones how can you kind of maybe play around a little bit with this and can you mix in some different uh liquors and so forth
2: Absolutely. Uh, the, the category of vermouth is huge. Um, it's part of an even larger category called fortified wines that all are made according to the same general principle. So they have similar amounts of sugar, bitterness, and acidity. And so you can substitute those almost as w- at, at will with either other fortified wines or Amari. Or you can actually change the bitters, the vermouth, and the spirit. And this is how bartenders created the, wor- the world's first dry martini. It's actually just a Manhattan that's all of the ingredients have been swapped for something else.
1: I, I love how everything goes back to something so simple. And, Jake, I, I appreciate this as always. All right. Thanks.
0: Remember to check out Hops and Spirits on social media at Hops Spirits, all one word, on Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, and Twitter. You can also find Hops and Spirits on YouTube and at Hops Spirits dot com
1: joining us here on the bar conversations he's a quarter of the group we banjo three we'll ex we'll have him explain that name and how it works with two sets of brothers but please welcome in Fergal scahill
3: yeah scahill. thank you
1: yeah scahill yeah you got us very close ah, I'll, give see, you, I knew, I'll give you
0: four I knew four point five out of five
1: <laughs> <laughs> see, for those that don't know and that'll see this and listen to it I said it better, I think, the first two times we recorded, but uh, life didn't you, like me and technology did. <laughs> <like> you. <laughs> no, you, you're you're doing fine. Yeah, it, uh, but, like I've got I've got some we've
3: got some some clinkers of of, uh, of efforts at the name Scahill, you know, shale or Fergo is the is the favourite one that I get written on my coffee cup, you know.
0: <laughs>
3: but uh, no, you did well, so thanks.
1: Good to be here. Well, oh, I appreciate it. And- you know, for those that don't know, while you're you're on tour you're doing a few dates here in America right now, you guys are technically based in in Ireland. So I decided to uh, go to your go go there for my drink tonight. Little Rowan Co. blended Irish whiskey out of Dublin, right next to the the Guinness plant there. But I know you're not a drinker. You, I, I think, uh, in one of our recordings, you, you poetically said you had a uh, possibly used up all your drinks a little earlier on in in, in life. So. Yeah, a
3: friend a friend of mine likes to say that he he thinks there's a he has each person has a finite number of drinks in their lifetime, um, and I drank all of mine by the time I was 25. So, uh, uh, yeah, I, I suppose when I started take the music more seriously and making a career of it, then the 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 drink, and, and of course, with Irish music, it's it they're very closely linked. You know this association with the having the pints and the sessions, and it just all blends. But it's hard then to have that as your job. Um, and I found since I've you know stopped, it's it's made touring easier. It's made the gigging better, and I haven't missed as many flights.
1: You know, <laughs> <laughs> a little, little cheaper too. I'm I'm sure. You know, uh, just a bit, yeah. So now, do you, you do you drink some non-alcoholic drinks? Because you know, I know Europe's way ahead of that than, than we are yeah. here in America. We're getting a little bit caught up but I mean do you have some of those non-alcoholic beers and so Yeah
3: there's, there's loads of great stuff Um, like I remember in, uh, the this, this, this is great as you say coming from Europe Germany is, has got a huge selection and always had years and years ago um, fantastic selection so I, I do quite like this some nice um, German non-alcoholic beers that I get in Ireland or Guinness has made a zero zero, which I actually had a they've they've come to America with that now which is, is actually a very good pint you know it's it's it, it tastes and looks and has the feel of, a, of a, a pint of Guinness you know so um but out here then the as the non-alcoholic those little fizzy uh, fancy
1: waters mm-hmm. that you
3: can't pronounce yeah they're very good
1: <laughs> <laughs> well I was gonna say my, my other thing that I, I I probably need to cut back on greatly is Coke Zero that I, I tend to use that I don't like coffee I'm not a big coffee guy so if I need a caffeine boost that's that's my go-to and I don't know if that's a good thing or not these days <laughs> mm.
3: I'm a big I am a big fan of coffee and some of the fancy the cold brew in a can or even there's, there's so many great coffee shops now that are doing interesting things with nitro and with different um, really really good coffee you know so it's, it's that's nice to see and we really enjoy each town we go to because as you said we're on tour out here at the minute I'm in Milwaukee right now um, getting ready for Milwaukee Irish Fest this weekend. But every time we go to, we'll have our coffee
1: shop that we like to go to. And we,
3: yeah, we enjoy finding new places and, and that sort of
1: thing. So, Well, and I was yeah. going to say nowadays, I feel like there's a new coffee shop just about every block, uh, you know, which is a good thing. Because like you said, they're doing some cool things and uh, yeah. a, a lot of fun there. Now, on the music side, I think you have a lot of fun. Because is there a string instrument that you can't play? Because when I was looking it up, I mean, I think your list was like five, six deep of the instruments you played, along with percussion, yeah. but you know, a lot of string. yeah,
3: a lot of string instruments. Yeah, I suppose when you look at like I, I'm a violinist or a fiddler, um, primarily, so I've been playing fiddle for since I was a kid, since I was six, five or six years of age. But the basis of the fiddle and the, the left hand fingering of the fiddle is the same on a lot of instruments across, so mandolin uh similar for violas, just you know so when you when you play one string instrument or for me anyway i find that i can then transfer what i know onto different instruments quite easily so my main instruments that i let's say i would gig working at are fiddle and guitar and as you said percussion bow on the irish drum but um i i can generally throw my hand to any string instrument and i once won a bet um uh, there's a i'm going to try and remember the name of the instrument now i think it's called a balakma so it was a tiny little greek instrument um and somebody produced one at a session he said i bet you 50 bucks or whatever that you can't play a tune on this and i was like give it to me
1: <laughs> challenge accepted and yeah. i'm guessing you were able to
3: i was able to yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> i like that now now i gotta ask though i mean your brother i believe plays the banjo a lot of folks yeah. in the group played the banjo Now i think it's not as many as it once was but w- did you just not like the banjo did you just want to be different
0: um
3: like I'm, I'm the youngest of four uh siblings and we, we're all musicians so like um every one of us have have played so i suppose we tried uh to play different instruments maybe grown up uh I just like the fiddle so that's why I, I i started on that quite young and I, I stuck with it and um i always enjoyed playing it uh it's not that i don't like the banjo what it that i love the banjo
0: No, <laughs> but yeah,
1: yeah. it's the banjo you know you have to make fun of it <laughs> i like it i like it well and, and like you said you, you played the fiddle all i think all your life you won all ireland titles on it the guitar the, the some drums you got group national titles in, in that. I mean, is that just second nature for you and the family to just be good at, at this? Or is there just, what, what, what's in the water over there?
3: I suppose, I say, I suppose a lot. Um, it's uh, <laughs> it, like, you, you, this, this brings up the, the question of nature versus nurture. And you know, for, for as long as I can remember, there was just a, a lot of work put into music. There was a lot of value placed on music within our, within our house. Um, from a very young age, I, like I started playing, you, you mentioned the, the boweron is the Irish drum. Um, and that roughly translates to the deaf man's drum or the deafening drum. Bower is the Gaelic word for, uh, deaf. So and the boweron, I started playing that when I was like two or three years old. And, um, there was just always a love and, a, an interest and an excitement around music. Um, and I think that came from my parents, while they didn't play, they just loved, loved music and, and you know, there was always music in the house and it was, I, I don't think it was ever considered that it would be our career at at that stage, you know, it was always go to university and get a degree to fall back on which I didn't do, but that was the good. messaging, you know, it was, it was, uh, get your degree and you can, you can have the music then as a hobby, but it turned out that I did the music and have all, all the other things as
1: hobbies, you know, so, um, yeah, it's well, and, and of- I'll get, I'll get to those hobbies in a second, but you, you also with, with some of the, the fiddle, i think i read too where you just you kind of have a history you know the history you know the traditions the different traditions across with with the instrument and you kind of bring all those together and put your own spin and kind of um be a little bit innovative with it as well i mean
3: yeah i think i am
1: as i grew up playing traditional
3: music i also studied classical violin um for 10 or 15 years maybe and i then found the bluegrass fiddling and and that style of of playing i met a fiddle player about 10 years ago now i, I had heard bluegrass and i had been aware of you know all the old greats um but then i met a guy called ross holmes who was actually he was touring with mumford and sons back at their the peak of their heyday um when their f-bomb got them to number one that was was always the joke little line man the f-bomb got them to number one (laughs) anyway um but he uh he was in galway and we met and we 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 started playing and he he then showed me these bluegrass techniques that i'd never heard and actually blew my mind open um and then i started to see how they would work in the traditional irish music and then you actually see how closely linked those two types of music are you know the western swing and the bluegrass and Irish music all have very tight uh, roots and there's, you can trace a lot of that back to there's Irish influence in all of that music you know so um, putting them together then and, and having I suppose such a, a grounding in Irish traditional music to add those flavours of bluegrass into it kind of does give it this new it's not new I'm not the first person to have done it but it's certainly a it is it is innovative in its own way and then I also throw some nice effects pedals and you know some different stuff as a fella said to me at Bluegrass last day I like your fiddle I don't like your electronics and I was like,
1: <laughs> okay <laughs> that's fine <laughs> now now some of those um, you know hobbies that you have I wonder is it well at least let me rephrase that the hobbies that you have if i did those i might not have my fingers because i am very not great at cutting things with, with, whether it's cooking or not i'm getting better my hands are aren't <laughs> as cut up as they used to be but you enjoy you know making stuff out of timber cooking you know i feel like that's dangerous for for the fingers that you might need to play the fiddle
3: no, i've had a few i've had a few close calls thankfully not too much with the with the, the woodwork um i'm i'm always very very careful i've had a few close calls with with my uh chopping my nice my nice knife um i did take the top off this finger uh, about a month into lockdown <laughs> back in 2020
1: when i actually just sliced it clean off and then i super glued it back on That <laughs> it was fine <laughs> it's all good it's all good i just don't feel anything there anymore or, or you know you know when the weather's going to change right yeah 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 <laughs> that's actually you came back together fine no I,
3: I yeah i hear you and lots of people say that but uh, i
1: choose that time to be conscious and in the moment and minding my surroundings well and I'm, I'm guessing that's though a good way to kind of pull yourself out of the music and you know you guys do do a lot of touring You you know play a lot of shows i'm sure that's perfect downtime and Kind of something completely different, uh, so to speak, as well.
3: Yeah, I have always had a a love for
1: doing things with my hands,
3: and actually, um, just making stuff. And uh, even on tour, like I, I knit as well when I'm on tour. Uh, again, it's just something to be doing. I tie dye, hotel room tie dye. Um, you know th- these sorts of crafty things that, especially when I'm away from home. Because at home, I'm always tinkering with something. I'm always, you know, fixing something or making something. or But out here, when you've just got your suitcase and it's kind of limited to what you can have for that sort of tactile, creative, obviously the music is great but just that other that other part of me that... So, um, yeah, I really do enjoy, I, I especially enjoy carpentry. Like, I'm not particularly good. I'm able to, like, I've built some sheds and built a cabin and, you know, done things like that, but... It wouldn't
1: be what you would call fine woodwork. <laughs> Not making cabinet doors, like. <laughs> but 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 you, you you're able to, to do it skillfully and, and and use those hands and again that's an art different different art form yeah. you know and I I read too where I think you you've had a love for the stage I think you were on the stage at age five I mean uh, again it just seems like you might have been destined for something like this.
3: Yeah, I think I've always. Known I wanted to play music full time or at least be to work in music full time. Um, the way it, it happened, I just it, it turned out to be begging primarily up, up to now, or um, but yeah, I, I wound up on, on stage at the age of five in a show that was run by our music teacher, and it was it was kind of the it was run for the the tourist season in Galway and it was little kids on stage i mean i was 5
1: and i was playing the bowran and I, what's cuter than a 5 year old playing a little <laughs> drum on stage you know? <laughs> you're not wrong you're not wrong <laughs> yeah i'm looking forward to my daughter and her recital uh, you know this winter the you know yeah. her little christmas play so yes i i can yeah. see that yeah 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 now i mean so i guess then did, you said even I mean maybe not then at age five did you think you were going to do this professionally but when did it kind of set in at a age where you were like you know what I just love this this is what I'd rather do than anything else
3: for as long as I can remember like it, it really it was always my life was always intermeshed intertwined with music like all the way through it was the most important thing uh all the way through my childhood, all the way through my teens. I was very lucky with the, the high school, the secondary school, we call it, the high school I went to in Ireland. We had an amazing music, music program there, um, an amazing music teacher who, I mean, opened our eyes to the possibility and the idea of collaboration and the idea of being able to make music with anybody that you meet. Regardless of their background in music, you know, that's you can find a common ground um, Which we have done, you know, over the years I've played with Every sort of band I've been in a Bluegrass Elvis cover band at one stage, you know, I've done a collaboration. I was in um, South Africa a number of years ago and did, did a, a whole collaboration with traditional gumbo dancers and you know So there's there's all of this common ground, but that that. um the, the lessons that we were taught through music in school was that it was it was about collaboration, it was about community, it was about meeting people and being able to share music um, and that that was the most important part you know and I think was, so I, I never really had any doubt that I was going to be a full-time musician you know so uh, maybe that was that was where I got my recognition as well as a kid. You know what I mean? I, I was I was, as as a four or five year old, I was a good musician. As in, on the bouzouki, especially. Um, like I won an under twelve competition when I was six, so, at 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 that age, I, I was getting this, um, adulation. Um, adulation is the wrong word, but it kind of is. You know, as a six year old, people you're 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 deadly at this. You're you're really really good. Um, so it became that focus of validation um so maybe there's there's obviously
1: some some of that involved in my uh, attraction towards this but yes. well but you you kept up with it too because you can be good at it at that age but you still got to keep going and, and well that's true going. yeah yeah <laughs> and, and, and i and i handle I, I i give a lot of
3: the the um credit for that to you know well, my parents obviously worked hard and getting me through all of it but um my music teacher in in school Mered Berl who I'm still very good friends with and I see regularly you know so it's um
1: that was a fantastic springboard for it Well, and and now you're you're playing with your brother is it Inda is that how you say his name yeah okay so what's it like playing with him I mean it it, I mean is there ever a little squabble there or do you have, you have an older do you have an older brother I do about nine years older Oh, there you, you know all about it then. <laughs> <laughs> my, my next question. As, my, mine wasn't as bad. <laughs> now, if you ask my wife that question, if there were four of them in like a five-year period. She totally understands <laughs> that. But uh, I guess then, then the next question comes in. When did you <laughs> decide to play with your brother? Like, was that something you guys ever did with growing that, up? That kind of...
3: Really? Oh, yeah, we we all... we Like, he would have been in the same show as me. Like, we've played together for years in different, in different things. And, like... um he recorded he's six years older than me so he recorded his first album when i was still in high school and i played guitar on that album um and so yeah we've, we've played together for years and well you, you mentioned about the name of the band we banjo three because it's called we banjo three because i wasn't in it at the start <laughs> there were the three other guys so that's enda david and martin um and they were playing three banjos and at the very start they entered a competition for a bursary. Uh, From the Irish government, which they won Uh, It was a three-year anniversary and a covered album recording and touring and all of this sort of thing Um, and I guessed it on the first album and after that album recording we kind of Knew it made sense to have the four piece and the fiddle tied it all together Um, So then ten years ago this weekend believe it or not we did our first show in the States and that was at milwaukee irish fest 10 years ago so and then it just clicked and it made sense then for it to be the four piece you know working did, with family is always
1: working with family though you know <laughs> i was gonna say did you ever request a name change we banjo three and one fiddler
3: <laughs> but you know if, when i joined initially some people took it upon themselves to put a plus one you know beside our logo and they're advertising gigs and you're like no it's still be banjo 3 it it just makes more fun it makes it more interesting you know um no it it is you know the name is a name it
1: it, it doesn't it doesn't really matter you know well Um, and it gives a good conversation for when you got to do do things like this and talk to folks like me (laughs) never get
3: tired of explaining where the name came from
1: Well, and, and I'll get to you know kind of a few other things, but you mentioned the the Milwaukee Irish Festival, and now when this drops, the the festival will have you will have performed there. But how big yeah. was it to play at that that first time? Because I feel like that probably set you guys on the course that you are.
3: Yeah, the first year we came out here as the band, I had played Milwaukee in two thousand and four uh, with a different band uh, when I was in my early twenties. So I kind of had an idea in my head of what it was. Um, but when I came back out, it was way bigger than I could have, have remembered. And when we came out here 10 years ago for the first time, we played seven shows in four days. We were worked very hard, <laughs> um, but we asked for it. We said, we'll do as many shows as possible. You know, it started out, I remember our very first show and it was quiet. There were only a few people there. And by the Sunday afternoon, we were in this tiny little tent down the bottom corner of the the site called the... I think it was the village pub stage or something like that anyway. Um, the capacity of the tent was maybe 100. There was maybe 100 seats in the tent. Um, and as it happened, just as our gig started, there was a huge rainstorm outside. So it started pouring down rain and thousands of people were just trying to cram into every tent possible. So our <laughs> tent became rammed with people it was just like and the, the storm was so bad there was water running through the crowd and under the stage and um but that wound up then to be this this uh really uh, exciting there was a real buzz in the tent um and then of course because it was so crowded we were standing up on tables and you know it's just all this <laughs> it just it just got this really sort of crazy energy um and that that gig now is people talk about that Were you at that one do you know It's like I was there that year in the tent of the storm Um, but but that year was it it really kicked us off on the on the road that we're on now and we we have the the people of Milwaukee both the the bookers and and the the crowd thank for that because they really took us under their wing and kind of uh, owned us almost you know so it's <laughs> this thing of there are banjo boys you know you'll hear them refer to refer to us that was that's a nice thing you know it's it's
1: those are the the fans the music fans that keep you on the road you know well and and you know you're back there again this, this weekend or you know like i said it'll have passed i mean you know it'll be last weekend but i mean i'm guessing you're not in that tiny stage or that tiny tent anymore when you go there
3: no no so now we play now now we, we will be headlining the Coors Light stage which is a stage that's probably i'm going to guess somewhere in the region of eight to ten thousand capacity in that stage and and the stage will be the, the crowd will be full for that you know or it has been in the past anyway the last time we did it was obviously 2019 and those stages were absolutely jam-packed so um we do have a really nice following and we Played a, a, a show in the Riverside Theater here in Milwaukee back in March. And that was almost sold out, I think, which is it's a it's a big room, you know, and, and it, it feels good to have that support in the town. And uh, yeah, we, we love coming to the
1: festival here, so it's always great fun, you well, know? Well, and, and, uh, you know, like you mentioned, you guys have gotten bigger as time has gone on and but you still do those you know the kind of the irish america festival circuit you know to to, to a degree why why is that because i mean i think that's pretty cool because like you said that's kind of how it all started and it's probably pretty cool to give back in a little bit of a sense
3: yeah it's well i suppose they're big festivals as well like milwaukee mm-hmm. irish fest has over over the course of the weekend there could be maybe 120 150,000 people come through that festival over the weekend so while there's a lot of the people there have seen us before then there's always people that haven't seen us before and um and really we enjoy it you know we love the festival and as part of the festival there's the there's a summer school that runs so i'm actually teaching or i teach for 3 days running into the fe- the festival so um that that's really nice you get into a room and you get to spend a couple hours talking about fiddle and techniques and styles and all sorts of things or me telling stories about being on the road or whatever it is, you know, but we um, really do enjoy that because um the people in the community are are really the most important part of the the touring life for me, you know. Because there's a lot of time that you're in hotel rooms on your own, so when you when you can be out and, and meet people and and festivals are
1: great for that, you know. Well, and you know, you mentioned you know being able to meet people, share things. You, you guys do a good job on social media of kind of sharing uh, your I wouldn't call it the silly side but you have fun you you do some video all sorts of things what's it like you know with social media these days and being able to share a side of yourselves that you might not I mean I'm sure there's give and take obviously but there's give there's give and take uh, maybe as I'm getting older
3: I'm just getting more fed up with social media <laughs> um but uh, yeah I know it, there, there isn't there's it's it's very easy access to to share your personality as long as it doesn't get too contrived you know like i'm not i'm not a big fan of the right now we have our these are our reels that we have to make because instagram said so you know um and i just kind of groan internally and sometimes externally when those (laughs) things happen (laughs) but then then you do have opportunity for as you say doing silly things and and making fun videos and and don't get me wrong like i i I did a uh I've done a, a number of different social media campaigns myself over the years. Where for two years, I, I uploaded a different tune every day to to social media and uh, got a got a big following from that. Whatever that means, I'm, I'm not sure what it means anymore. <laughs> um, there's a lot of numbers on my uh, Facebook page. <laughs> it doesn't mean anything, but uh, but uh, no, I, I, I I've like I've made a lot of. A lot of friends through that, both in musician friends, and then every festival I go to or every gig I go to, without fail, someone will come up and say, "I I enjoy watching your tunes," and I've or I've learned tunes from the videos that you put up. So, you know, there there's obviously benefits to it, um, and I do I do enjoy that side of it. And whenever I get a chance, if I meet somebody new or meet somebody that I enjoy playing with, I'll still, you know, record a video and stick it up online or whatever you know. So.
1: Well, and, and like you said, you guys have some fun, too. Uh, I really enjoyed uh, when you were promoting the album, which which came out. And we'll, we'll talk about that here in a, in a second. Um, you, you guys had a little bit of trouble kind of, you know, doing the... Uh, it, I love the outtakes. I, I mean, did, was that just oh, yeah. all kind of like as it went was that like real time almost of just that 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 was just yeah (laughs) that was that was also the end of a long day you know
3: you've done a long day because we we had a couple of different live things to shoot i think we may have had a photo shoot that morning and we were doing a show in nashville and nashville is always one of those gigs where you're having guests you know so it was just a busy day so by the time we sat down in the four chairs everyone was just kind of like right let's get this done." you know and as soon as you say let's get this done quickly now in five minutes that's when it all goes wrong you know so, <laughs> so all those all those laughs were genuine laughs and all the the bloopers were genuine but i think you can tell that from looking at it though they you know we were we we were genuinely and and the guy who shot all that stuff for us is a guy called craig uh craig from nashville and he's a great guy so he he was uh um lots lots of fun you know so that always helps as
1: well you know so I mean do, do, do the two sets of brothers always tend to have a little bit of fun little, little picking on each other little cracking jokes having, having a good time bits and pieces not yeah
3: yes and no um, we, we we do it's, it's an Irish thing as well you know this is kind of the the Irish uh, way of showing love sometimes is just insult you you know or to <laughs> we call it slagging uh, so it's like pulling the piss kind of um yes there, there's a bit of it and and of course we're sarcastic bunch the irish um, um and i who who doesn't like a good bit of sarcasm as defense or deflection
1: you know <laughs> i like it i like it. i'm sure you guys never use that either while you're out traveling just to liven things up no never no no i figure you're all <laughs> all, all good well-behaved gentlemen so <laughs> yes of course. <laughs> now, now, as we get back into the music, and we'll talk about the open ro- open the road of the new album, you guys kind of have a blend of that Irish music. Can you talk a little bit about it, too? You, you picked up some bluegrass and some other things, traditions of what you do. I feel like that comes through the whole set of music. To me, it's like nothing I've really ever heard. I mean, do you get that a lot, or is it just kind of just how the sound came to be? It's just how the sound came to be. And,
3: I, and we, we didn't set out with a plan to sound a certain way, you know what I mean? It, it, it did happen through gigging. We're not very good at rehearsing <laughs> as a band. I, I'm, I'm, I'm terrible at rehearsing on my own. Like if I have to learn something for a gig, I'll learn it, but then I'll actually perfect it while on stage or, you know, sort of get it. And as the band, we're the same. We found that our most creative stuff came out kind of on stage Live, where something would happen, and we were like, "Oh, that was cool." <laughs> um, maybe we'll remember, and you do it again the next night, and then it, it it becomes part of the set, you know. So, a lot of a lot of the tracks that we have um, sort of developed over the years have developed that way, um, and and often the stuff that if if we if we're in studio and we're short a track and we write a track or we do it without having gigged it. Like six weeks after we go out on the road it's a totally different song and we're like damn it can we go back and record it now and actually that that did happen with this last album where we were in studio and the what turned out to be the title track of the album we didn't realize it was kind of going to be the title of the album and we recorded it, the open the road tune which is a tune that i i composed um we recorded it in studio And we did the few, I don't know how many takes we did. And for that tune, because it's an instrumental piece and and the tempo undulates and it's, you know, it's not to to a click track. So we were just all live in one room, which meant that there wasn't any room for editing out mistakes or any sort of tweaking or, or very little room for that. So we got a take that we were happy with. And then we went on tour. And three weeks into tour, I woke up one morning and I was like, we have to re-record, open the road. So I sent, I, I kind of wrote the message and I sat with it, I was like, oh, is everyone gonna hate this idea? So I sent the message and I said, I really think we need to re-record, open the road. Um, and I got the green light and I found a studio. We, were, we had two nights in Ann Arbor and I rang a friend of mine who's in Ann Arbor and uh, he was away so we could, anyway, we got a studio. We went in and we re-recorded it uh, at like 10 o'clock on a Sunday morning. And that's what's on the album and so we had allowed it to develop over a number of weeks and then we
1: re-recorded so um yeah well and how is it blending you know because you know most folks that I, I ever talk to to on the podcast it's all lyrical based songs or you know i mean obviously the instrument plays a big part but for you guys you do have kind of those jam session type tunes where mm. it's just all of you getting to play and it's that traditional kind of irish uh that you, music that you would hear. Uh, and so how do you blend that and how does that work from a creative standpoint going from songs, you know, with lyrics to kind of like you mentioned, like something like open the road or the, um, I believe it was the first gentleman or, uh, you yeah. know, that you also have on the album. So, I mean, like how does those play? Well, it's funny for our live show. We do probably usually
3: a 50, 50 mix of instrumental and, and vocal songs, you know, instrumental tunes and vocal songs. Um, and it's just the way we've always done it that it, because instrumental music is such a, a huge part of Irish music, much more so than let's say the bluegrass world. If you're if you're at a bluegrass geek, you're gonna get probably six or seven songs for every one tune, you know, one instrumental tune. Uh, whereas we would be at, a, at an Irish session, it would be the opposite. You might have one song for every seven tunes you know so um we we, we find it works very well and it, it also gives a nice balance and a mix and uh, it's it's a break as well you know from if it's if it's all, all a lot of lyrics the,
1: the tunes are also an opportunity for people to dance and, and we do encourage people to dance at the shows and to do so you know well i was gonna say the, the music's definitely one that you get up and and have a good time with the new album Open the Road you guys released this summer Um, I I love Gift of Life Alive with you and Rialto Um, how did the album come together what was it like putting it together Uh, well because of lockdown it was it was a different experience because
3: two of us were in the U.S. and two of us were in Ireland and so David is the main songwriter and he produced this album as well so he had been working away writing songs while he, he was living in nashville at the time and he was writing with different people there so that's that song alive in you was co-written with a guy called stevie reese fairly sure yeah i think that was stevie and he's a he's a great great musician based in nashville uh so dave was constantly sending us files to a dropbox folder um and then he would follow up with a call did you listen to that and i'd be like oh i forgot and then he would send it again and and i would say yes i listened to that um and he said did you learn it And i'm like no no i'll go and learn it now Yeah. So he, he worked, he worked very hard on this album. So by the time we got to the studio, he had um, David had, had a lot of demos worked up for the stuff he and he had a good idea in his head of where he wanted it to go production wise. So we just kind of which was a, a very different approach to other albums where other albums, it was more democratic where we were all producing in equal roles, which Sometimes it's difficult because you can have two very different creative uh, directions on the same piece of music, and then it just gets muddy. Then, um, so just having just saying, "Dave, you're producing this, and tell us what to do." You know what you're hearing and what your vision for it is, um, and he did he did an excellent job, and and it, I think it made for a fairly cohesive album, and then a a, a good. Working uh, environment, and it also made it quite quick to record. Like in studio, we were in, we were seven days in the studio together, only. Um, now there was bits and pieces of remote recording and that other session that I mentioned. But you know that's that's a pretty quick turnaround for for an album, and uh, yeah, I think I think it worked out well and. Like that Gift of Life song has the drummer Steve Ferroni drumming on it, who was Tom Petty's drummer for for a long, long time. So that was a connection that was made between us and him during the end of my brother actually was in touch with them somehow during lockdown and uh, he drummed on a Tom Petty cover that
1: we did during the time when everyone lived on Zoom.
0: <laughs> yes,
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, it almost sounds like in, in a way, you know, I've, I've had others say this, obviously, yes, it can... You know take the wind out of the sails for a lot of folks because you know they're planning on big years in 2020 and and things like that to take them to the next level but it also gave folks a chance to meet some people get right when they didn't always have a chance because they were always on tour i mean so it sounds like it gave you guys a different way to do it and that's how it's almost in a way different than the first few albums that you guys put out
3: definitely um and i know what you're saying like an awful lot of people had a tough time in, in 2020 and i, I personally had a very nice time in 2020 because i was home i hadn't been home for that long uh, uh, in one go for 20 years or more uh we were about six or seven weeks into being at home and my wife turned to me and said you realize this is the longest time we've ever been in each other's company (laughs) without one of us being on tour (laughs) (laughs) and
1: and 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 you guys were okay with it right
3: (laughs) we're better we we're better friends now than we were at the start of it yeah, by a long by a long way, so that's yeah, definitely a positive. Um and, and yes, from, from a creative point I think it took a while for me to allow the creative to certainly the music to, to to come out because there was a lot of energy put into the online stuff, you know, editing videos and trying to record remotely and there was a lot of Invented pressure to be present online, mm-hmm. you know, and I say invented pressures. Then we were placing the pressure upon ourselves. There was no nobody external saying you have to do this, but we kind of felt that we we had to. um But then, yeah, I, I did. I did then write a good few tunes and a few different projects, and uh, yeah, it was it was
1: a good creative thing. I think, yeah. Well, like like I said, I, I love the album, you know, Gift of Life with the lyrics might be one of the best songs i've heard in a long time and you know it's 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 a it's got to be cool too to be able to now share those out and be able to to play in front of folks again and and because i mean to me like you said it's it's a community it's especially with irish music or you know things like that people like to get up have a good time whether it's a drink or not (laughs) they're out there dancing and, and and there's lots of smiles
3: that's for sure yeah um, yeah, I've, I've we've, we've just been doing festival after festival this summer and it's always, it's always lovely and you kind of forget it, especially being at home for, for a couple of years, uh, to sit down, we did a festival in Dublin, Ohio, uh, just outside Columbus there a couple of weeks ago. Um, and I sat down at, at a session in the hotel and there were maybe, you know, 20, 25 musicians and we all played tunes. They were from all over America. There were some people from um, uh, Canada. There was some people from further afield as well. And we all played tunes that we knew in common without sheet music, without anybody telling us what to do. And and it, when you're in that group of communal music, there is a there is a pulse to it that kind of you feel this energy when when it's it, it kind of just feels like that and, and it does your heart it does your heart good it really does this there's a it's a it's a real that's a real sound bath where you're you know you're you're in the middle of all of that and um yeah
1: i i i really love that you know that's well it, it goes back to kind of what you said what your your music teacher said you know music's at the core of everything something yeah. that can cross generations cross borders everything like that and yeah a, as we we wrap up webanja3.com you find them on social media as well and i guess my last question is what can folks expect the rest of 2022 from y'all
3: 2022 we're finishing out this summer tour we um we go and we do minnesota state fair uh which is always fun and then we finish up this leg like, of the tour at kansas city irish fest again another great great festival um we have some dates in the fall that are not on the top of my head but they're on the website i'm sure and yeah just happy to have the album out there uh happy that you enjoy it and lots of people seem to be enjoying it and uh it's just it's just good to be back out playing music
1: well well, fargo I, i really appreciate this thank you for sticking with me through the uh lovely technical issues (laughs) and lo and behold i think this recorded perfectly so i appreciate it and thank you so much
3: thank you very much